Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, uh, my name is Wilson Tang. I'm the owner and operator of Namwa Tea Parlor in Manhattan's Chinatown. And I had just released our first cookbook, the Namwa Cookbook, celebrating 100 years in Chinatown with stories and recipes from my family's restaurant. Oh my goodness. It's such a thrill to have you on my podcast. I remember coming to Namwa in 2010 because my son was in nursery school at the time and we dropped by for dumplings, which were his favorite thing um, after I picked him up in Tribeca. Namwa holds such a special place in my heart. We go there for family celebrations. And when the lockdown happened here in the city, we stocked up on frozen dumplings. So enough about me. Now on to you. Growing up as a son of immigrants, your parents expected you to have a white collar job. Can you describe your time at Morgan Stanley and the World Trade Center? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I kind of enjoyed my time there. I, I love the fact that it was very structured. I loved, you know, having like a set schedule of sorts and getting up in the morning, putting on my my suit, my shirt, my my pant, my trousers, my my leather shoes. Uh, and being part of a bigger machine. And I think that was a great prerequisite for me uh, to to ultimately becoming an entrepreneur and a restaurateur as I am now. But it was definitely um, uh, a rite of passage. Um, it was something that I needed to prove to my immigrant parents that, hey, your kid has made it. Uh, I, I went through the schooling system, graduated with my degree, and here I am. First born in the U.S. from my mom and dad, and working in a prestigious company in the World Trade Center, you know, and just kind of breaking the the stigma of immigrants having like low level jobs and um, you know not knowing the language. And I, I proved to them that I made it happen, and it was a really good experience. You know, I, I did enough of it just to learn the ropes, and I was ready to move on and to do my own thing. Talk about how your parents didn't want the restaurant life for you. The restaurant life was definitely not something that they wanted me to do. My, my dad had, you know, ran restaurants, had his own restaurants, did his own restaurant supply distribution. And he knew that it was really hard work. I mean, you know, it's a seven day operation, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And um, he did not want you know, I'm, I'm his only son. I'm the, the only child uh, to be getting into um, the restaurant business, especially when they worked so hard to put me through school and uh, wanted all the um, spotlights that living in the U.S. can bring. And going back into the restaurant business, um, you know, this is more than 10 years ago. But they were not happy about it. So. It's the quintessential story of the American dream. Uncle Wally Tang worked his way up from dishwasher to cook to waiter to owning Namwa. I am dying to hear about Uncle Wally. Uncle Wally is a man of few words. Um, he is uh, where I kind of learned 
about patience and kind of seeing things through and just putting your head down and work hard and the fruits of, of your labor will, will come eventually. And uh, he's the perfect example of that, starting from, you know, like you said, dishwasher to ultimately owning the business and the real estate. So I, I look up to him a lot. Uh, he really taught me a lot growing up about just what hard work can do. And, and I think that's a very similar story for first-generation immigrants, uh, people that came in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, It's especially when they don't know the language, they don't know the, the American culture, and just trying to learn and work and make a living to support their own families. In the summer of 2010, you met up with him at the Red Egg. Can you tell us about that conversation? Absolutely. My uncle knew that I had um, hospitality in my DNA. You know, he sat me down at this place. It's it's closed now called the Red Egg on Center Street. And it was kind of like your modern take of dim sum. And he presented Namwa as potentially looking like Red Egg, meaning, you know, just a more modern decor. And my answer to him was like, wait a second, this is not actually what I want to do. I mean, I would keep Namwa the way it looks now. It's kind of like a throwback. It, it looks like a Chinese diner uh, of last century. And I was, no, I, I would just keep it the way it is because I think it is one of my jobs to keep old New York old. And, and this was my opportunity to do so. So, you know, he pitched me to taking over the restaurant 10 years ago. My, my response to him was like, I, I actually would be honored to take on this new role in good old Nam Wat, just the way it is, you know, a little, little elbow grease. We clean it up a little bit, fresh coat of paint. Uh, you know, we put in like a computer terminal and like an upgraded the, the air conditioning unit and we were ready to go. The old cash register, isn't that still there? It's still there. I mean, it serves as a memory of the past and uh, we, we have it on display at the restaurant next to our old chamber stoves. Yes. And uh, it's, it's just uh, um, a kind of a throwback, a walk down history or memory lane for a lot of our customers. And it's just very intriguing for our new customers to see uh, that, wow, this place has been here for a long time with, with the old cash register and the old stove and the old steamers behind the uh, register. And the tin ceilings and the light fixtures and the floor. I cannot tell you how many photos I've taken for Instagram of the floor. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's quite an elaborate tiling. And, um, you know, to this day, I'm not sick of seeing it because it, it's they just don't do it like that anymore. There's no replica of, of that anywhere. And uh, it's just a memory of what old New York looked like. And, uh, you know, these things are vanishing as we speak. Um, so it, it's it's really is an honor to uh, run an old restaurant and, and keep it going until who knows, maybe my son wants to take it over. But, you know, as for now, I'm, I'm just a gatekeeper and uh, hopefully it lasts another hundred years. So I want to ask you about one more thing inside the restaurant that built in cabinet where you store glasses and teapots. It's the most beautiful shade of baby blue. I always take a picture of that when I'm there too. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it used to be green, to be honest with you. And through the decades, the color has been changed a, a couple of times. In 2010, I had like an interior designer friend of mine that basically told me, hey, you should paint it this color. It'll kind of match the stools where, where the counter seating is. 
And I just kind of went with that. And, and that's probably, you know, one of the more modern uh, upgrades is the actual color of the tea cabinet. I love it. So tell us a little bit about the rich history of Doyers. Yeah, Doyer Street is one of the original streets of, of Manhattan's Chinatown. Uh, the other two that intersect it are Pell and Mott Street. That's really where Chinatown began. And through the decades, um, it grew outwards from, from those three main blocks. And, you know, from just stories of that my uncle has told me, it's seen a lot through through the past hundred years. A from, lot. Yeah, from being the core of Chinatown to being a place where uh, rival gangs would meet to uh, do their do their work to being um, to do their the work. Sa- <laughs> <laughs> How do I say that nicely, right? Or or to kill each other? Exactly. <laughs> but um, you know, to it being a post office later on in the 1900s to um, kind of like a nightlife destination uh, pre-COVID, you know, with our neighbors. Apotec and now Chinese Tuxedo. So it's gone through a lot of different variations, but I love going to Namwa like really early in the morning where time is almost at a standstill, where it's quiet. Uh, you'll see, you know, moms dragging their kids along, taking them to school. You'll see the men with their hand trucks of meat and vegetables going from the distributor to the restaurant and to, you know, like when the sun hits, you know, people are just going about their business and it's kind of like a shortcut through Chinatown. It's really a special block. It's one of the shortest, most unique blocks in in New York City, I, w- I would say. Well, and I love how during COVID, you were just able to block it off. Yes. Yeah, so that was actually very key for us. When the city and the Department of Transportation came up with their open streets and open restaurants, programs, I was definitely one of the first to sign up. Doria Street was the first street in Chinatown to be closed off to vehicle traffic. And then we were able to apply for the open restaurant component, which allowed us to set out tables and chairs and umbrellas. And and it made it really look like, as the kids would say, a vibe. And um, (laughs) it it really kind of gave us some uh, hope with COVID through the summer. We did a decent amount of business. People knew we were around and uh, it it was great for the summer and into the fall. So this cookbook isn't just about the stories and recipes from the restaurant. It's also a legacy piece for yourself and a love letter to Chinatown. You have so graciously shared stories of various business owners in Chinatown. And I'd love for you to chat about Paul Eng of Fong On. It's one of those places that's been on my to-do list for years. Again, like what you said about the cookbook, it's not about the rest. It's not just about the restaurant or about my legacy, but really about the mom and pop stores that make Chinatown unique. And Paul and David uh, Fung On is definitely a, a key component in the fabric of Chinatown. And, um, you know, now, now Paul, the youngest brother, uh, has taken it over and uh, has quite the setup on Division Street in Chinatown where they do fresh soy milk and fresh tofu and rice cakes. And it's, it really is a treat to go and, and check it out to, to, to try their uh, savory tofu. And you can see all of the machinery in the background on how they make the tofu and the, and the soy milk. So it, it's definitely a, a nice little trip to take down to Chinatown and, and visit. So every time I'm at the restaurant, I'm always trying to take a peek into the kitchen to catch a glimpse of where the magic happens. I'd love to hear about your dim sum chefs. 
Absolutely. This component of the business near and dear to me, you know, the dim sum profession is really a dying art. And not many people are entering this line of work because it's just a lot of components uh, from from hand skills to all the different types of marinades to the art of working a wok to like the steam station and to make rice rolls. It's just a very complicated profession. The guys in the kitchen really have been with me since the beginning. Um, you know, my, my chef, my head chef has been with, with my uncle actually back in the 80s. And, um, you know, right now, you know, we make a lot of stuff on premise, but we've also the business has grown where we have a secondary, a commissary kitchen to produce all the varieties of dim sum that we have uh, and to also supply our our second and third stores in Nolita in New York and also Philadelphia. It's a work of art. It's a labor of love. Um, That's really what dim sum means, a touch of heart. And, um, you know, they're also getting older and, you know, we're figuring out like innovations on how we can keep this art alive. Part of it is going to like mass production with like machines. Like we have machines that make the dim sum potstickers and, and dumplings now, um, but also just like training, like constantly looking for new people to come in and, and learn and, and, and help out. Uh, sad, but you know, it's also hard to find like young folks to learn it. So anyone listening to this podcast that's interested in learning the art of dim sum or is in the restaurant world wanting to change gears, please send me a message or find me on Instagram and send me a DM something because we are constantly looking for people to join our team and to keep the art of dim sum alive. I think this is one of your favorite dishes, the original egg roll. Yes. yes. So your uncle swears he invented it. <laughs> yes. And it's does. not like any other egg roll I've ever eaten. Can you describe it and tell us why it's one of your favorites? It's one of my favorites because it is indeed a labor of love. We have stopped making it at the current time just because we're not doing the volume that we were doing. And this is one of the items that is very labor intensive because it involves making crepes of egg. And we're talking about hundreds of them every day with a 10 inch skillet. And we would take the beaten eggs and ladle a scoop of the egg into a skillet to form the crepe. And we would just smack the crepe of eggs out of the pan onto like a uh, paper towel. And we would just watch these crepes pile up until they're, (laughs) they're like a foot high. And then once these crepes are cooled down, we would wrap our chicken and vegetable filling into the crepe of egg. And when an order comes in for that, we gently batter the egg roll and we kind of just pop it in the fryer real quick and then pull it back out. And the result is a very aromatic crunchy and just full of flavor and textures. Uh, You can put like hot oil, you can put plum sauce, but it is just a very special item that my, my, my uncle swears that he, he invented the egg roll and uh, we've had it on the menu since he's been working there. You know, it's just that one very special item and we call it the OG egg roll. Um, If you get an egg roll at any kind of Chinese takeout restaurant, it's typically made with a prefabricated wrapper, almost like a spring roll. And uh, they just roll in the uh, filling and then just drop it in the fryer. Uh, So this multi-step production is really what makes this special and um, tasty and um, a top seller for us uh, for many years. Okay, so this is a dream come true for me. So I want to go over my top dish 
dishes at Namwa. And can you give a really short description of these? Yeah. And I might add, these are all in the cookbook too. Awesome. Okay. The shrimp shumai. Shrimp shumai. Amazing product. And if you were reading the cookbook... Wait, you, did you say pork shumai or shrimp shumai? Sorry. I said the shrimp shumai. You don't shrimp know my shumai. favorites okay. yet? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> shrimp shumai. So this is part of the shrimp master filling. I'm, I, I apologize. <laughs> and this is basically shrimp. There's a little bit of squid and our proprietary marinade. And it is beaten in a mixer into a pasty um, consistency. And we use a yellow wrapper. And I think there's illustrations in, in the book on how to like turn and twist the shumai into the shape of the cup of your hand and patting down with like a butter knife on top to get the filling into the wrapper really tight and squeezing your hand into a fist and really pressing the, the shrimp mixture into the wrapper until it looks like an open-faced dumpling. And then there's a little green pea on top. Exactly. Then you put a little green pea on top just for a, co- a color and contrast. And uh, also something that is a reminder that that one's the shrimp one versus like the chicken one or the uh, or you know the pork pork and shrimp one i did not know that yeah so second on my list is the chicken shumai same kind of way we make it all made by hand this one we take grounded chicken uh with our marinades and ginger this is actually one of the top sellers for us at the restaurant our dim sum is primarily shrimp and pork so having a chicken one is really cool and it's kind of breaks up the norm a little bit for us okay the next on my list your wait staff is always like, are, are you sure you want four orders of this? Because we, <laughs> we have a 14-year-old now, and we're like, yeah, I swear to God, we want four orders. The Crystal Shrimp Dumplings, um, Har Gao, is that how you pronounce it? Har Gao, yeah. You know, like most dim sum restaurants are, are judged by the quality of their Hargao. And this is because the skin is super hard to perfect. Uh, you know, you have your formula has to be precise to enable the skin to be translucent. So we used to make this by hand and we sold so much of it that we finally in 2015 ordered a machine that makes it. Yeah, I think my so, kid pushed you over the edge. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's when you order four orders, you know. Can you imagine rolling dough and then, you know, marinating the shrimp mixture? And then the dough, literally, it is cut into pieces, you know, a couple of ounces per piece. And with a cleaver, it is pressed against the table to form the wrapper skin. Wow. It is. That's crazy. I, I've, and this is one of the hardest things to perfect. But we, we had exhausted the way we made it by hand because we had so much volume that we finally went into making it by machine. Okay. Steamed spare ribs. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love that Chinese steam ribs are more like riblets. And through the marination with the black bean sauce and the salt and the, the sauces that we use, this item is so special because it's tasty, it's juicy, and I just love being able to kind of gnaw at the cartilage and uh, some of the meat falls off the bone. I grew up eating this and I remember, uh, and we have this at the restaurant also, it's like a plate of this spare rib tips over like some rice noodles 
where the oil and the black bean sauce like soaks up into the, the rice noodles. It is just so tasty. It's it actually making me salivate right now talking about it. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's another it's another classic. You know, it's it's up there with the shrimp dumplings and uh, and the shrimp shumais. These are your OG, just classics from back on the Silk Road, you know, and, and where, where people were kind of just getting these dim sum snacks through their travels. Like this has a really, really long history. These are the items that really are our signature, um, you know, when, when we talk about like classic dim sum. Okay, I have a couple more. The shrimp yeah. rice roll. Um, yeah, so shrimp rice roll. I mean, like any rice roll uh, is fantastic because... It's basically rice that is broken down into a liquid form. We lay this liquid onto like a steaming sheet to form the noodle. And inside, you know, shrimp is one of my favorites because the shrimp that we use from Louisiana uh, has great texture and it's just got a good like snap um, when you bite into it. But you know, if for those who don't like shrimp, it works well just on its own, the, the, the rice roll on its own. Very silky, smooth, and it tastes incredible with just some sweet soy sauce and, you know, chili oil if you like. And even scallion and cilantro is, is a good choice for rice rolls. But uh, shrimp is, is my favorite. The look of it is beautiful because the RNG shrimp, actually, you can see the shrimp inside the noodle when it comes out fresh. It looks amazing to me. Once you put the sweet soy sauce on it and a little bit of like a chili oil, I can't even, I'm speechless. Um, it, it's so tasty. The texture, the, the silkiness of the, of the noodle it's just a really good item. Okay, something that I got so hooked on probably a couple of years ago is your salt and pepper pork chop. Right on. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, that's actually not your classic dim sum item. And the story for that is we wanted a bunch of items that can work for like dinner time too. And because dim sum traditionally is breakfast, lunch, brunch. And we incorporated that item uh, very Chinese American, to be honest with you. It's literally a fried pork chop cut to manageable pieces and with a little bit of uh, salt and pepper and secret ingredients, a little bit of cinnamon. No. Yeah, little, very little. But I think that's the secret ingredient in, in that dish. This is definitely not dim sum item, but it made it onto our menu to add depth to a menu that never changes, but that could work for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, so the last thing, every time we go there, we have to order, well, it's my husband and son, and they have to order like five of these, your sesame balls. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, dim sum restaurant and Cantonese cuisine in general are not big on desserts. So this is definitely a top seller because it's literally one of like three items that we have that are in the dessert realm. But how can you go wrong, right? Like it's basically a fried ball of flour with sweet lotus paste inside. So it's crunchy, chewy, sweet. The sesame seeds on the outside give it an extra layer of texture. And I mean, those are all the key words, right? Sweet, <laughs> uh, gooey, um, crunchy, um, golden brown color looks amazing. And this is, this is classic. I mean, I, that's a treat when we, um, when, as a child growing up, uh, for, for dessert. 
And even something that I, that was served, um, when I got married, you know, at, that this was part of the dessert component of, of my Chinese banquet when I got married. So always forever in my thoughts, um, this classic chewy, sweet, crunchy item. Now to my segment called last night's dinner, where I ask you what you had last night for dinner. We actually had tacos last night. Yeah, we do it actually once a week and pretty simple. We, we make a quick guac, pan-tossed peppers and onions and ground chicken with some taco seasoning and then the hard shell tacos, some lettuce, tomato, and then we, we kind of do our own taco fix-it. Where Rogers, like a taco the fix bar? bar. <laughs> yeah, taco bar. <laughs> so the kids love that. It's actually very easy for us to do. You know, we just knease everything out and then we lay everything on the dining room table and, and we just kind of take turns. It's like almost like a taco buffet. And my daughter loves breaking the shell apart and almost making a taco salad. And um, my wife is more uh, no shell. She just puts everything on a plate. And my son and I are just trying to pile up our tacos as high as it can. We'll, we'll uh, challenge each other to, to see who finishes first. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, taco night last night. T- tonight's hot pot. We've got Uh-oh. hot pot going on tonight. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we, uh, we've got all the different vegetables, all the sliced meats, um, and, and a good broth going right now. So we went from tacos to hot pot. Okay, I'll be right over. <laughs> yeah, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> so where can we find you on the web, social media, and in New York City? Our website has all the information of all our locations in New York, Philadelphia, uh, even in, in Shenzhen, China. We have we have two locations there. Um, you're able to purchase all sorts of gift cards, merchandise. Our cookbook is all available online to purchase at namwa.com. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram, it's just at namwa, N-O-M-W-A-H. Or you can follow me personally. Uh, my Instagram handle is uh, dimsumnyc. Tea Parlor is located at 13 Doyer Street in Chinatown, Manhattan. And our sister location uh, in Nolita, that more fast casual option, uh, is at 10 Kenmare in the heart of Nolita. This has been a complete thrill for me. Thank you so much, Wilson, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.